Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to Jesus Stories. This is the podcast which tells the stories of the life of Jesus. And now in season four, we're taking the time to talk about these stories in more depth to help your understanding of what they might mean for you. In our last two episodes, we looked at the boyhood of Jesus, not only the baby in the temple at his dedication, but the worshipers who came from afar and Jesus' impact on the leaders of the temple when he was 12 years old. We looked at the hope, the confidence that is expressed in those events, the provision which God made for the parents of Jesus as they had to leave Israel to save their baby's life. If you haven't heard these episodes, I invite you to go back, give a listen to them. Let me know what you think about the stories and the conclusions that I share with you about them. You can do that on my website. It's jesusstories.info. Click on the Talk to Us tab. Today, we're going to proceed on in the events of the life of Jesus. Two events will dominate our thoughts today. We meet the adult John the Baptist, Jesus' cousin, and Jesus and Satan will have an encounter in the desert. We'll get started in just a moment. I must remind you that these Jesus stories come to you because you have helped us out. You provide the monetary means for me to finance this podcast. You provide prayer support as I consider what and how to bring you these stories from Jesus' life. And if you're not a supporter, would like to join us in this effort to bring this message around the world, I invite you to check my website. It's jesusstories.info. Click on the Support This Podcast tab and you'll find out how to help us out. We've taken you into the boyhood of Jesus, from the age of a toddler up to 12 years old. From then until the start of Jesus' ministry at about age 30, the Bible is silent about Jesus' life. We can only surmise about any details of Jesus' life as a teen or a young man. Perhaps he learned his father's carpentry trade. Perhaps he even ran the business as a young man. We know that Joseph is no longer mentioned in the Bible after the birth of Jesus, so it is speculated that he passed away at a young age. So Jesus may have been responsible for supporting his mother and siblings after that passing. Siblings? Yes, we know from the scriptures that Jesus had siblings. The Bible gives us the names of four brothers, James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon, and mentions sisters. So we assume there are at least two of them. That's all we know for sure of Jesus' early life. We do know that at the age of 30, the age of spiritual maturity for a Jewish male, Jesus turned from supporting his physical family to the spiritual support for all mankind. That support began in an unusual way. The way had been prepared for him by a voice of someone calling out from the wilderness. These words from the prophet Isaiah describe the ministry of Jesus' cousin, John, also known as John the Baptizer or John the Baptist. Luke specifies the time for us. In fact, he gives us the whole reigning hierarchy. 
quote, In the fifteenth year of the reign of Tiberius, the Roman emperor, Pontius Pilate was governor over Judea, Herod Antipas was ruler over Galilee, his brother Philip was ruler over Ituria and Trachonitis, Licinius was the ruler over Abilene, Annas and Caiaphas were the high priests. This puts the start of Jesus' ministry at A.D. 29. John was living in the desert, dressing in clothes made of camel's hair with a leather belt. He ate locusts and wild honey. He spoke a message from God, which was not a pleasant one to hear. But people came to him anyway, confessing their sins and to be baptized. Listen to his words. You brood of snakes, who warned you to flee the coming wrath? Prove by the way you live that you have repented of your sins and turned to God. Don't just say to each other, we're safe, for we're descendants of Abraham. That means nothing, for I tell you, God can create children of Abraham from these very stones. Even now, the axe of God's judgment is poised, ready to sever the roots of the trees. Yes, every tree that does not produce good fruit will be chopped down and thrown into the fire. These are pretty harsh words. What would you do if you heard such today? Stomp out in disgust? Blast him on Facebook or Twitter? In John's time, the response was a little more convicted. What should we do? The people asked. And John, being the direct speaker that he is, didn't shy away from telling them. Share your clothes and food with the poor. If you were a tax collector who during this time had a reputation for gouging the public, he told you to collect only what the government requires. Soldiers were told to be content with their station and their pay. John went so far as to criticize Herod Antipas, the ruler of Galilee. Later, he was jailed for this. Besides reminding people of how God wanted them to treat each other, John's message was also of the coming Messiah. In fact, the public was wondering if he was this Messiah. John replies, no, he is not the one. And he continues with these words, the main character in this drama, to whom I am a mere stagehand, will ignite the kingdom life, a fire, the Holy Spirit within you, changing you from the inside out. He's going to clean house, make a clean sweep of your lives. He'll place everything true in its proper place before God. Everything false, he'll put out with the trash to be burned. Then Jesus comes to meet John. Jesus asked John to baptize him, but John objected, No, I need you to baptize me. And Jesus replied, We must do what God requires. So John baptizes Jesus. Let's stop and talk about baptism. What is it? The word comes from a Greek word. In fact, it's a transliteration from the original Greek writing. The Greek word, baptizo, means to dip or sink or submerge. So, in other words, John submerged Jesus into the waters of the Jordan River. When he came up out of the water, the heavens opened. The Spirit of God came down on him like a dove lighting on him. God spoke from heaven, this is my dearly loved Son who brings me great joy. 
You might think that Jesus would go about preaching and teaching and maybe even working miracles of all kinds. He has, after all, come of age. He's been baptized and been approved by his father. That would perhaps be the way we might do such a task. After all, we want to get right to work, right? Such is not the case with Jesus. The scriptures tell us that Jesus was led by the Spirit into the desert for the purpose of being tempted by the devil. Before we go on with the temptation of Jesus, let's stop and talk about this confrontation for a minute. Here is a man, our main character, who is conceived by the Holy Spirit in the womb of a teenage girl, and who is labeled as the Son of God, going into a direct confrontation with the devil. Who is this devil? The scriptures tell us that the devil, also known as Satan, Lucifer, and more, is an angel who decided that he wanted to be God. For this pride, God threw him and a third of the angels who were following him out of heaven into a place called hell. It is a place created just for these angels. From the very beginning of time, from creation, the devil has been attempting to thwart God's plans for mankind. So this confrontation between the devil and Jesus is really a test. While Jesus is God's son, he is also a man, a human being. Like all human beings, he is subject to the temptations and frustrations of trying to follow God. The question is, will Jesus succeed or fail in this test? So the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, leads Jesus into the desert for a time of testing. That begins with fasting for 40 days and nights. What is fasting? Let me answer that by posing a scenario to you. Suppose you were in a dire circumstance, say a life-and-death situation. One course of action would lead you to death, another course would lead you to life. How do you know which course to take? Maybe you might say you would ask God. So you would accompany that prayer with fasting, refraining from food usually. You might have something to drink, but eating is out of the question while you seek God's answer to your dilemma. That's the situation here. I think Jesus knew that he was about to face Satan. The appropriate response was to be totally focused on the Father. The best way to do that was through a long fast, 40 days and nights in this case. And this is what he does. Satan comes to Jesus with the first test. Obviously, Jesus is hungry. If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become loaves of bread, says Satan. When you're hungry, doesn't the thought and smell of baking bread tempt you? It does me. But eating would break the fast that Jesus is observing. What is Jesus' answer? No, he says. The scriptures say people do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. We'll talk more about Jesus' response in a few moments. Then Satan comes at Jesus with another temptation. He takes Jesus to the highest point of the temple and says, Jump! The scriptures say that God will protect you. In other words, put yourself in a dangerous situation and let God extricate you from it. Satan appeals to vanity. Jesus replies with another scripture. 
The scriptures also say you must not test the Lord your God. A third time, Satan tempts Jesus. He takes Jesus to the peak of a high mountain, telling him, I will give you the glory of these kingdoms and authority over them, because they are mine to give to anyone I please. I will give it all to you if you will worship me. Satan appeals to pride and a lust for power. Jesus responds with a third scripture. Get out of here, Satan, Jesus told him, for the scriptures say you must worship the Lord your God and serve only him. These temptations from Satan are all met with scripture, scripture that is deeply embedded in Jesus' heart. I promise you he didn't have his electronic Bible available or a concordance handy to look up what might be an appropriate biblical response to the situation he was offered. He knew what the response would be for two reasons. First of all, as we heard in the first Jesus story, Jesus was and is the Word. His voice is that of God. Being the voice of God, he knows God's Word and how to use it. Secondly, he is operating in the power of the Holy Spirit. He was led to the desert by the Holy Spirit. Matthew and Luke both tell this story of Jesus' temptation to further establish that Jesus is really the Son of God, the Messiah that the world is so eagerly anticipating. John uses the testimony of John the Baptist. John's preaching produced excitement in the religious world. So the temple priests and assistants were sent out by the Jewish leaders to ascertain the status of this man. Who are you, they asked. John speaks right up, telling them, I'm not the Messiah. Well, then who are you, they asked. Are you Elijah? Are you the prophet we are expecting? No, he replies to both questions. Then who are you? We need an answer for those who sent us. What do you have to say about yourself? John replied in the words of the prophet Isaiah, I am a voice shouting in the wilderness, clear the way for the Lord's coming. So if you're not the Messiah or Elijah or the prophet, what right have you to baptize people? I baptize with water, John says, but right here in the crowd is someone you do not recognize. Though his ministry follows mine, I'm not even worthy to be his slave and untie the straps of his sandal. I'm sure that this answer was a little perplexing to those who held the religious reins in Israel. This man is not the Messiah. He's not Elijah, though he comes in the spirit of Elijah and they don't recognize him. He's not the prophet they are expecting. John's reply uses the words of Isaiah, words which clearly point to the Messiah. This should have made his identity clear. The next day, John clearly points to the Messiah. Jesus comes walking toward him. John calls out, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Then he says, this is the guy I was talking about yesterday. You know, the one who is greater than me, who existed before me. I saw the Holy Spirit come down on him like a dove. God told me that this man would baptize with the Holy Spirit. So he is the chosen one, the Son of God. In this way, with the results of a temptation and the verification of a prophet, Jesus' identity is cemented by the authors of the Gospels. Jesus proves that he is the Son of God by standing up to the devil. 
Jesus is identified as the Son of God by John, who witnessed the Spirit falling on him at his baptism. That's our time for today. Thanks for listening to these Jesus stories. A final reminder for you that you are the ones who help bring these Jesus stories to the world. At this time, this podcast is downloaded over 2,300 times each month from locations all around the world. Such an outreach does have a cost. You can help us out by visiting JesusStories.info. Click on the Support This Podcast tab to find out how to do that. Even if you can't give money, we crave your prayer support. Thank you for taking the time to think about, pray about how to help us out. Next week, we've got some observations about this series of events that are really important for understanding if we're going to follow Jesus. I'm still working through those comments at this time, so again, your prayers are helpful. So we might actually use two episodes to talk about these stories. Check back in a couple of weeks to find out how I handle these comments. We'll see you in that, in that time frame, about two weeks. God bless. Sweetest that ever was heard